This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing and living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Duke Rivard. I'm the Executive Director of the Soma Family of Churches and Saturate. I'm joined by the visionary leader of the Soma Family and Saturate, which is Jeff Vanderstelt. How's it going, Jeff? Good, good. It's good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So it's exciting. Uh, we're kind of entering into a new era of the Saturate Podcast. If you listened last time, you know that Brad Watson, who has led it for 105 episodes, along with Jared Pickney often, have transitioned. They've passed the baton to Jeff and I. And so we will now be resuming uh, leadership of, of the podcast and excited to continue on uh, what's really been a great venue to, you know, to, to equip and to inspire and to encourage all kinds of leaders and churches who are interested in the gospel or interested in the church and the mission of God, particularly in the, in the everyday stuff of life. Uh, Jeff, as we get started, let's just, I guess, initially talk about what will be really similar as we think about the podcast, though the hosts are changing. We're not, we're not throwing out really what people have come to know and expect from Saturate as it relates to uh, the podcast. But how would you describe just sort of our sort of our core focus as an organization, some of the things we're going to continue to, to reinforce in the coming days? Yeah, some of the things that have been really important for us along the way is we continue to say Jesus is better. So that's a, a strong emphasis on the gospel, gospel fluency, the ability to speak the truths of the gospel in all of life, and then live in light of that reality shaping everything you do. So we're going to continue with that huge emphasis on the fact that Jesus is better than everything else, that the church is more than just Sunday, that though we value the gathering of the saints together, and we know that it's very important and imperative, uh, we know that that's not all that the church is. The church is much more than just Sunday. And so we'll continue to talk about that idea that the church is the people of God, sent um, or saved by the power of God, sent for the purpose of God, filled with the very presence of God into all of life. And so what does that look like? for everyday life. And that's the really the third emphasis is that the mission is every day, that, that we are all called by the power of God, saved by the power of God, but given the spirit of God to be a missionary people, wherever we live, work, learn, and play. And so we want to talk about how that mission gets worked out in everyday life. And, and, and for us, the, the heart has always been that it wouldn't just be about one strong church or one church plant, but rather that the church in a region, a church in a city would really begin to collectively work together as the one big C church that Jesus says we are. Uh, and we would live in such a way that we'd say, we want to see gospel saturation happen in the, the places where we live, work, learn, and play in our city. And so that's going to become the thing that we put, keep putting in front of you. How can we together as the church see this beautiful picture of gospel saturation happen where you are? So that's our hope, and that's what we'll be working on together as we move forward. Yep, Jeff, that's great. So for those of you who are um, you know listening in, Jeff and I really are the executive team for uh, Soul and Saturate, and we have weekly meetings. And some of our hope and, and you know desire for you in the podcast is that you would actually just get to listen in to the kinds of conversations we have uh, around the work of, of ministry and around the work of equipping leaders, around what we're seeing God do in churches, how he's unifying churches. And, and you just feel like you have the director's cut, like you're getting to sit in and listen on that. We'll certainly continue 
to equip around some of the emphases that Jeff just mentioned. But uh, yeah, we're excited to just have the conversation with you involved. Uh, Jeff mentioned this as well, but this idea increasingly, we want you as the audience of Saturate uh, and the Saturate podcast to find your way into the work with us. So what we don't want to be is a publishing company who just does content and, and you have no relationship with. We really want to be brothers and sisters in Christ who find ways to partner in gospel advance together wherever possible. Uh, now, sometimes distance and time you know, makes that very, very difficult. But in other cases, we believe there's a lot more opportunity for you to step into the work. And we want to be, we'll be doing commercials and updates from different regions and, and even different countries and different emphases within Soma and Saturate to create on-ramps for you so that you're, you're able to join the work. Uh, Jeff, this is something I've seen with even Dorothy Day and the, in the Catholic workers movement, uh, day was a genius at finding ways for everybody to participate, you know, and, and we, and that's just our ecclesiology, right? That every single member of the body has a role and has a function. And, and we know that's true in the, in the local church. And we're going to continue to affirm that. We also think it's true as cities work together and even regionally and nationally and internationally as churches band together uh, around like, you know, like-minded emphases like the gospel and, and the church and the mission. And so uh, we're excited to just to see that activated. Yeah. And, and we believe in that so much that my own local church has given me the freedom to dedicate 60% of my time now to really come alongside of those who are doing it in their own context in their cities, that a big part of the future work that we have ahead of us is just saying, God, where are you already at work? Uh, beginning to stir this passion and heart up in your people where your bride is present, where the church is presently ready to really take seriously the call to not just have a great church, but to see a, tr- a city potentially transformed by the gospel. And so we really are just here to say, how do we serve you? How do we come alongside of you? How do we discover what you are doing? And then encourage and build that up, fan it into flame, even connect more people to one another who didn't even know they were trying to do the same thing in the same city. So our hope is that in a lot of ways, we, we get to serve almost like as midwives to what the Spirit's already doing in you and in your context. Yep, that's so huge. And we're, we'll be sharing more about uh, that one church reality of how churches can band together. Actually, next episode, we'll have Will Plitt from Christ Together with us, and we'll we'll get to do a deep dive on what, what we're seeing in Western New York, what Jeff's been leading in, with Saturate the Sound, along with some other leaders there, and, and we get to really unpack even our heart. You know, Jeff, maybe even real quickly, though, tell us by 2030, like, what are we hoping to see happen uh, through the work of Saturate in terms of the emphasis on on hubs and, and cities working together? Yeah, we would lo- we would love to see uh, 15 key cities or regions uh, significantly working together in gospel collaboration, really believing John 17 when Jesus prayed that uh, when we are one as the church, not just your church, but the church in a particular area, the world will see, they'll come to understand that the Father sent the Son, that the the very the very unity of the Father and the Son's desire to see salvation happen through the Son's life given for us would start to become a known reality in our city because they'd see the demonstration of the unity of the church on mission for the glory of God and uh, the fame of Jesus in that place. So our hope is to come alongside and see where all God's already stirring that up in key cities, all, you know, North America, Canada, United States, Mexico, and just say, Lord, who are you raising up? Who are the leaders that have that vision? How do we come around them, encourage them, build them up, provide resources, 
connect them if they aren't connected, but just really come to serve that reality. And there's already a lot of that going on in some great uh, great works in in North America, and so some of it we'll be learning from others and saying how can we uh, connect each other to what's already happening. But then there's other places where it's just getting started, and we want to really do our very best to provide almost like the scaffolding to come around whatever work might be happening, so that uh, eventually we could just pull away and say like look at what God's doing in your city, in your context, the church united, disciples being made. The, the gospel filling every place through God's people so that we might see gospel saturation take place, which for us, that is every day, it, there'll be the possibility that every man, woman, and child can have a, an encounter with Jesus in word and deed through his people, the church on mission, where we live, work, learn, and play. So that's what we're aiming for. Yeah, that's really exciting. And there's, there's like you mentioned, already other organizations that are working towards that. Uh, Soma and Saturate are working towards that. There's There's really... Some a couple of cities that are are really moving towards a pretty you know more mature expression of that, and then we're seeing the seeds of that in Latin America and three different cities in Mexico. We hope to see seven of those be Latino hubs. Uh, we're seeing that in Canada and Quebec with Dwight Bernier uh, and others in Vancouver and other places. So yeah, there, we can already see it forming, and we're just really excited to be able to continue to give energy towards that in the. In the next 10 years. And, and, and Jeff, my job, I think a lot of my job is just making sure we protect your time, protect the resources, the leaders within our, our movement to make sure we, we really get after that vision and, and don't get diffused into lots of other things, because uh, we really do believe the unity of the church, uh, churches being one church and and working and owning the lostness of, of their cities is is going to be critical if we're ever going to see gospel saturation, uh, which is really what we've over the years we've talked about one MC per one thousand people, uh, which would be a you know significant gospel saturation in a particular locale. And so excited about that uh, today, Jeff. Though we don't want to just talk about what's coming, we don't want to just cast vision. We also want to get right into. Uh, content. We want to talk about this, the reality of COVID. Uh, we're going to talk about how COVID is actually shining a bright light on America's ecclesiology. Uh, ecclesiology, if you're not familiar, is just the study of the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. It's really just what our theology is around. What is the nature and function of the church? What did God create in Christ? Who are his people? How are they to function? Uh, we're learning a lot about what America believes about that in light of COVID. Uh, Jeff, this week, I noticed uh, coming back from vacation on Twitter, there was quite the the pot stirred in terms of this question. You'd, you'd sent out a tweet about maybe just some different ways churches were responding uh, to the reality of, of shutdowns and, and distancing and how to mobilize, how to organize uh, in this moment. For you, what, what are you seeing and what are you experiencing as you watch America grapple with their ecclesiology in COVID? Yeah, I mean, it, the reality is, is, the the ecclesiology the the understanding of who and what the church is and and how we operate is now being revealed very clearly because when when all of a sudden you take away the ability to gather and to engage in programs like we used to the response to that is definitely revealing about what we think the church is and what the church does. And so, you know, I think you've got a variety of responses right now, and this is in no way meant to be overly critical. It's just to state what is. Uh, you've got some who are saying, because the church is Sunday-centric, 
it is primarily about, or at least most importantly, about the gathering together, which is a command of scripture, but it's it's not the only thing we're commanded to do. Uh, so you've got some who are saying like we've got we've got to do whatever it takes to get back to that, even if it's civil disobedience. And then you've got others who are saying, okay, well, yeah, we'd love to gather, we can't, we got to find other ways to think about this. But the church is a missionary people of God, and so can we reimagine what the church would look like meeting in homes or meeting in parks or gathering together in other forms? And so that's another response. And then I think there are others who, in some ways, probably already were believing that to be true of the church and had maybe already set up their church in such a way that the majority of the church's life was life together, life in community, life on mission throughout the week. And Sunday, in a sense, supported that or equipped toward that. And so to lose Sunday still is it has affected them, but they in some ways are saying, how do we still do the encouragement, the support, the equipping, the training for everyday life in other forms so that our people that are already organized together on mission and community uh, where they live, work, learn, or play can just continue to get the support, the encouragement, the equipping that they've always been receiving. And so in a lot of ways, there's like almost three different, I'm seeing three different responses that fundamentally are revealing in regards to what they already thought the church was. So our ecclesiology is showing up in a crisis is what's happening. Absolutely. And it, some of it's highly contextual in a sense of it's a way of working out what we feel like God's called us to do and be around. I think most churches still keep the Great Commission, you know, somewhere, right? In terms of this is what we're supposed to be working on. Jesus said, make disciples. We believe, you know, most well, all elders are, are in church leaders are saying, we think this is the way that we are to set up our church for us to be able to fulfill the mission of God, to be faithful to what he calls us to and to do that. Um, but maybe let's talk a little bit about like first principles, you know, because you do have contextualization, you have tradition, you have practices that you've engaged that are familiar. And over time in a culture, those get, you know, pretty solidified. And this moment has basically taken a lot of our our go to. Maybe the nine iron is taking the nine iron out of our golf bag and we don't have the thing that we may be most comfortable with. And so we're having to get back to functions, right? Like how is a disciple made? And if we can't make it make disciples the way we used to, how how will we make disciples now? Yeah, maybe spend a little time talking about uh, first principles and, and how does a how does a church begin to think more fundamentally about what they're doing as opposed to just continuing on in, in kind of the tradition of how how they've done things in every other other time and place? Yeah, it's a good question, Duke. I think uh, one of the things that's important probably to recognize is that uh, it's possible that many of us, many of us church leaders, uh, didn't have a clear description of what a disciple is and what a disciple does as a result of who they are uh, even prior to this. And so we we had a whole lot more of they they might attend church, they might give, they might serve in a ministry, you know, they they submit to to leadership and all those things are of course great things. But our our definition of a disciple itself may not have lined up with the very picture of what we see in the in the gospel narrative in the the book of Acts and then Paul's letters and as well as Peter's and James letters to the churches. And so I think what one thing we we have to do is we have to ask, did we have a definition? Because if if for instance our wheels are spinning right now, we're in you know, and a lot of us are feeling anxious or concerned about what's going to happen. <clears throat> I think if we haven't stopped and said, wait a minute, what is a disciple? Have we made disciples? Do we know if they actually are living as disciples? If we don't have that fundamental conversation, then what we fundamentally do is just try to get back 
to what we had. And I, I said this in another conversation recently, if we try to get back to what we had, we're actually saying, I want to go back to Egypt when God's giving us the opportunity to travel with him through the wilderness. And that's what this really feels like in a lot of ways to prepare his people for what is coming. And God isn't surprised by this, absolutely involved in this. And so like, even I, you know, go back, going back in 15 years or so ago, coming out of Willow Creek uh, and, you know, getting to plant a church and then having Willow Creek be very honest and real about saying, Hey, you know what? We did this study with this objective analysis of our church. And the truth is we aren't actually making disciples. And, you know, they that echoed. It was like the shot across the bow and uh, church leaders all over the world actually heard that. Uh, and yet I, I in some ways think it's like we heard it, but we didn't make any major shifts uh, mm-hmm. to address it. And what I love about this moment right now. And I, I hope this, in some ways, I hope this encourages you, as, as though most of us don't like to go to the doctor and get a negative report. Uh, what is really going on, I think, in this moment is that the divine physician, God himself, is giving us an opportunity to go to the doctor. And what's happening is in this moment, in COVID, the nature of our discipleship and its effectiveness and the the the, the true nature of the disciples of God is being revealed that that mm-hmm. what we have done or haven't done or how well we've done it or not done it is now completely revealed in the moment when they can't gather together on Sunday like they used to be able to do. And mm-hmm. I, I've had lots of interaction with pastors and they've said, you know, it's almost disheartening as I'm beginning to understand that I thought our people knew how to have a vibrant walk with the Lord, commune with the Spirit, live life walking with God through all of all the things they go through. And now I'm finding they didn't know how to do that. The only kind of spiritual vitality that they experienced was their Sunday experience. And mm-hmm. now that we don't have it, I'm beginning to realize we didn't actually prepare them for the moment. And I yeah. think it's a great opportunity to say, like, God's giving us a diagnosis. Are we willing, and myself included, in my own church, am I willing to humbly receive the diagnosis from the doctor, <laughs> see where we might be sick? Be thankful that we know we have the cure because God's given us everything we need for godliness and, and holiness and all the things that he wants us to do. We're not lacking the spirit. We're not lacking the word. We're not lacking his ability to do something in this moment. But are we willing to face the diagnosis, the doctor's report, and say, okay, Lord, thank you for your kindness and your grace to reveal these things through to us. Now would you give us the grace, the wisdom, the direction from your spirit and your word to begin to take seriously how we disciple your people in light of what we've now learned. Yeah. Now, it's so interesting, Jeff, because some of these conversations for many years, maybe even since the Reveal study 2007 and maybe even before, um, you know, were kind of hypotheticals. You know, it's like, uh, you know, we would maybe even have debates with some, I have friends in seminary who went after really different ecclesiologies and different uh, you know, programs and structures for the church than maybe what I was convinced of, and then certainly missional communities, um, that kind of thing. And and yet it feels like COVID has really, it's really gotten concrete. You know what I mean? It's 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 taken away a lot of the ambiguity, and it's really just shown us, like you said, a, a really objective doctor's report that says, hey, here's your vital signs. Here's the things that are healthy. Here's the things that are not healthy. And And there's really not a lot of ambiguity. One thing, Jeff, you're talking about discipleship and how one's made. I'd love to maybe even spend a little bit of time talking about uh, what is our expectation of somebody who does attend our church for, let's say, five years or seven years. I, I can remember earlier on in maybe my teens being 
you know, very committed to the church. My mother had us in church every Sunday of my life, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We never were not a part of whatever the church was calling the church to. Uh, and so, but I realized in my early twenties that I was really only equipped to be an inviter. You know, I really only knew how to invite people to the programs and, and systems of the church and really where the, the professionals could close the deal. And so sometimes what I think we're, we're you know, we've, we've, maybe you and I have, have pushed back on leaders in the past. Other, others have, you know, it, it seems like now we're starting to find that if, if you were only able to invite people, you know, if, if that was evangelism as an invitation, you know, not even an invitation to Jesus per se, not even a, a gospel conversation as much as, hey, will you come to this program, come to this thing that we do that maybe you could hear about Jesus, you know, uh, come to this youth group, come to this ministry, uh, you know, for marriages or, or for whatever it is. Now we're in this place where, um, you know, we don't really have that option. And so it's like, what can I actually do on the ground with my neighbors? What can I do with my family? You know, we've talked about family worship, you know, how equipped are our mothers and fathers to just disciple their children, you know, or, or has, has that been outsourced to, to children's ministries and youth ministries? You know, how well do I know how to, to meet the needs of the poor or do I need a program to, to tie in to do that? You know, uh, it, it's really, you know, there's a couple of continuums. I love to talk about that of, you know, organic versus, you know, programmatic, uh, centralized versus decentralized, uh, professional versus laity, you know? Uh, but yeah, Jeff, what are, as you, as you look out over that, what, what are you seeing in terms of what are some of the vitals we're getting back? Like what, what are some of the things we're starting to see uh, that maybe people can or can't do uh, as it relates to the, the equipping discipleship that many have inherited in maybe even more of a Sunday centric or programmatic centralized church? Well, you, you, you started with the, the uh, five-year thing. What if you, what, you had people going to church for five years, what would you expect? And I know, um, a story just to kind of shape this a little bit when I was serving and I won't name the church, but as a youth pastor, I I remember a dad pulled me aside one time and he said, I don't know what you're doing with my son, but my son now is more equipped to share the gospel with his peers than I've ever been. I've not known how to teach my son this. I've not been able to do it myself. I feel very ill-equipped. And this is a guy who has been in the church for a very long time, was even in leadership of the church. And yet, recognized next to his teenage son, his teenage son had surpassed him in his ability to make disciples. And I don't say that in any way to shame. I was so thankful that he was willing to admit it and say, would you help me? But the interesting thing is he knew the church wouldn't, (laughs) the church wouldn't help him. And so, you know, I remember when we started uh, Soma, the question we asked was, what if someone was a part of this church, this body for five years, we should expect, hopefully, and of course, we can't control the, the power of the Spirit and the sanctification process God's bringing someone through, but we should at least aim towards this reality that if they've been with us five years to maybe seven years, they should be able to go with a core group of a church planning team and plant a church in any part of the world. They should be able to, if there were a persecution or let's just say a time in our history where we couldn't gather as the church publicly on Sunday, that they would know how to be the church. They would know how to reach their neighbors. They'd know how to share the gospel, teach some of the basics of prayer, Bible reading, solitude, silence, walking with the Lord, being filled with the Spirit. I mean, just the basics of Christianity, if they've been with us for that long, they should be able to do that without without us. And, you know, it's really interesting when you look at the narrative, not only of the Gospels of Acts, but of Acts as well, 
as soon as the church experienced persecution in, Jer- in Jerusalem, it says the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the church was scattered. And this church clearly mm-hmm. is men and women, young and old, because that was stated in chapter two in Joel's fulfilled, the prophecy of Joel being fulfilled, that these men and women, young and old, would be prophesying and would be experiencing these things that the prophet said would happen. And so what happens is the church scatters and it says the church, this is men and women, young and old. They all preached the gospel everywhere they went. And we're in a moment right now where we're like, man, we got to, it feels like we're saying our people would never do that. They're not prepared for that. We never train them for that. And I think we all have to ask, what were we doing? Was Mm -hmm. the goal to train them in the basics of being a disciple of Jesus Christ who makes disciples of Jesus in community such that they wouldn't need us after a certain particular time? I think if we're not careful, we have built the church in such a way that it, it lends itself towards perpetual infancy. It's mm. similar to me saying to my kids, I will always do a bunch of things for you so you'll never have to do them, which will make you never want to leave home because it's far easier to stay in my house where I do the majority of the heavy lifting for you and you just participate with the chores and being good kids and submitting to our authority. Man, if that was the way I led my house, my kids would stay with me till they're 40 or 50. In a lot of cases, Christians have been in the church that long and still don't know how to go establish a household of faith themselves. And so that to me is the big question we have in front of us right now. And the diagnosis, I would say, and I hope I I hope I say this humbly because I think it's true even of the church I'm leading presently, uh, that I don't know that we've done the work to prepare people for the kind of situation we're presently facing, but we still can. And that's the good news. Yeah, absolutely. As you were saying that, Jeff, I was was thinking about helicopter pastors. You know, we talk about helicopter parents who come in and they don't want their kid to ever experience anything uncomfortable. You know, they don't ever want a kid to really even encounter a trial, you know, and they're trying to protect a kid from even a trial. And it's like, to what extent have pastors essentially wanted people to be comfortable, you know, and they're within what they're asked to do, almost like a negotiation of, I don't want to push people too hard. I don't want to ask too much because I don't think people will do it and I'll lose people, you know, or I'll, I'll or we'll lose momentum or or I don't know, maybe there's just like a sense of failure when we set a bar and nobody meets it. We feel like a failure. So there, there's a tri- there's probably a triumphalistic aspect of American evangelicalism, which means we need to hit the mark and feel successful, you know, hmm. and we, and maybe it's consumerism, but we need people to we need to keep the customer satisfied. We need people to keep coming back. We need people to, you know, be willing to, to buy what we're selling, you know, and, and the way that we're organized and. Uh, but it's it's so counterintuitive because you you really see when you you do high call and you you call people into life it's there's you you really evaporate a lot of the the apathy and a lot of the dysfunction and people can rise to the occasion and they have all over the global church I mean we we in some ways you look at America we have we've had more decadence over the past say forty years uh, in the American church than maybe any most any church in church history we've got bigger buildings bigger staffs more money more programs, more resource, you know, written resource, video resource. I mean, there's so, we, we have like a, an embarrassment of riches and yet it, it's like that it hasn't resulted in a, in a healthier church and a more robust church. And we go to some places with, you know, very little resource, Latin America and Asia and other places. And, and they really are able to make disciples, you know, and it's like the focus has been on 
sharing your faith. It's been on leading people through the word. It's been on prayer. It's been on just the core of Christianity and what it means to follow Jesus. And so, yeah, I I don't know. As you're talking, I'm just thinking, man, it's almost like our affluence or uh, some other values actually have just kept us from doing what the church has been doing for most of church history. Uh, You know, it's, we're not, we're not actually talking about new and innovative ways of, of making disciples. Uh, we're, We're looking at, other countries right now and, and other times in history where these things were just common, you know, to, to really train and, and almost parent leaders and, and disciples in a, uh, I guess a high cost to some extent, Christianity is, is high cost because Jesus said it was, <laughs> you know, cause he, he made it that. Um, so yeah, that's, it's really interesting uh, as, as you kind of go there. You know, but before we move on, Duke, I, I want to mention, I want to say something to that. You know, it's, it's interesting. If I told my four-year-old, I don't have a four-year-old now. My kids are older now. But when they're, when my daughter was four years old, my oldest, if I told her, hey, one day you're leaving, you're going to probably go to college. Uh, you're going to have to get a job. Uh, you're going to have to figure out, you know, a lot of things, take, get a car or whatever, wherever you're living, you know, figure out your transportation, uh, pay bills, you know, all this stuff. She would be like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, it would overwhelm my four-year-old. And, and so there is an appropriate kind of call for the, the maturity of the believer. Now, uh, but as she gets older, I increasingly am leading her towards that reality. I'm training her up in the way she should go. That's what I'm doing all along. So increasingly, I'm introducing the cost and I'm giving her experience, experiential knowledge of it. And eventually she's getting more and more authority to, re- to make her own decisions. So now my daughter is 18, is leaving. Uh, She's not surprised. It's not, it doesn't feel like a big cost. It doesn't feel like it's something we never prepared her for. It doesn't feel like it's something we never talked about. What Jesus did that. <laughs> like he, mm-hmm. he spent three and a half years. Like at first it was, Hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. That doesn't feel like a high cost. So they did leave their nets. But as he continued to develop them, the cost became more apparent. And then they mm-hmm. finally saw him go to the cross and they realized how, how re- ridiculous this cost would be. You know, it was far more than they could ever imagine, but they, even though they ran away at the crucifixion, they came back and then they went forward and paid the cost. I say all that to say, if when we put the cost in front of people who've been in the church for a very long time, they're surprised, hmm. then we have to ask ourselves, what have we been training for? <laughs> like, if the cost seems too big, yeah, to a new Christian, maybe, but to a seasoned Christian, it should not feel like this is a new thing. It should feel like well, you've been preparing for me for this all along. And, and so I say that because I want to now reference another thing. You know, anybody who's listening knows if they paid attention that the the church is in many cases losing two generations, millennials and then the, the generation after that, um, whichever you want to call them, Gen Z or whatever you've chosen to call them. Uh, but, but we're losing that. And I was just having a conversation with one of them who just wrote a book. Uh, it's coming out, I think, in a month or two. And he said, Jeff, the problem uh, the problem isn't a millennial problem in terms of like there's something wrong with them or they, they don't love Jesus or they don't want anything to do with the church. He said the problem is ultimately a discipleship problem. We weren't discipled. <laughs> we weren't trained. We weren't taught that, that that we are the church. We weren't taught that we take responsibility for one another's discipleship. We weren't taught that the mission requires us being willing to forsake all for the sake of Jesus. Like we weren't discipled. That's the problem. And so, and and what I've been finding, and I, I want to say is to encourage the church leaders listening or anybody's listening for that matter. I'm having millennials coming to me right now in this cultural moment, saying, you know what, we're we're tired of doing nothing. We want to. 
Mm. We have an opportunity right now to take seriously our own discipleship and the discipleship of others. Will you help us? And, yeah. and, and some of them even have said, and they're in our, my own church, have said, we know that not everybody in our church wants to do this, but we want to. So will you get serious with us? Will you help us get serious? Because we're tired of just this idea of going to church. It's not what we believe the Bible teaches. And so I'm so encouraged because I do believe both the cultural moment we're in because of COVID, as well as the reality that the world is crying out for someone to bring some good news to the brokenness that we're facing. And then you've got this generation who's been saying, nobody discipled us, but we want to be. Church leaders, please, here is a great opportunity to take seriously the opportunity to, to raise up a generation who could see the church in a very new way and possibly see uh, the American church and the North American church transformed as a result. They're not running away. They just want to run to something. Absolutely. So you've got, yeah, you've got millennials and Gen Z who want to be more activated and want to get in the game. Uh, and then now with COVID, we've got a country in existential crisis, financial crisis, uh, you know, health crisis. And so the, the needs of our culture are as apparent as they've ever been. The division around around race, the division around politics, polarization. I mean, divorce. I mean, even if you're if you're a pastor, you know this. But the divorce rate, even in our churches, has has been noticeably increased over COVID, and we're we're seeing it all over. I mean, I yeah, I just everywhere I turn, I'm hearing of another couple who's who's getting divorced. And so the brokenness of, of our culture is becoming more and more evident, you know? And so this is actually a, it's a, it's a massive need and opportunity for the church to rise up and to step into, uh, you know, the brokenness and to, to share good news and to help people, uh, you know, reorient themselves if their idols have been smashed and show them that Jesus is better. So uh, yeah, it's, it is, it's a massive opportunity. It could be the church's brightest hour. Especially in the American context, it really could be. Yeah. Or it could be our sunset, you know, because yeah. we're just so not ready for the moment and we we hide out or we uh, we just, you know, we talk to ourselves or we or we, we fail to rise to to really even love our neighbor. Right. If we if we get in insularly focused on, well, what about me and what about my comfort? What about my job? What about my life? And we can't see our neighbor who's asking the same question. Yeah, Duke, that's what's so great about learning from people who understand the concept of missionary work. Like uh, I have a friend in Tokyo, and uh, he, he was responding to some of the things I've been sharing just recently on, on Twitter. And he, he said, you know, I was talking about like, what if we could re-embrace the missionary mindset of the early church, the Acts church? What would, how would we engage this moment differently? And he said, man, like I'm, I now know all my neighbors. In fact, I'm going on vacation with some of my neighbors this next week. And if you don't know anything about Tokyo, 99, you know, point like 8% of the population is not Christian. And about 95% will likely not have an interaction with a Christian who believes the gospel in their lifetime. So it's the second largest unreached people group in the world right now. And yet wide open, there's complete freedom to share the gospel. And so he was just rejoicing that COVID has given him the opportunity to meet his neighbors build friendships with his neighbors, and now go on a vacation with his neighbors with the hope that they might get to share the gospel with them. I mean, that is what's in front of us right now. We all have that opportunity to, I mean, I this is the first time in an incredibly introspective, isolated community that I live in that I've met my neighbors. Like they, I, it was like a ghost town I was living in. They go to work, come home, close the 
the garage behind them. Not, I'd never see them. It was like nobody lived in my neighborhood. Now they're out walking their dogs. They're so tired of being inside. They're taking walks two or three times a day as a couple. Like I see them everywhere now. Like the, the door is open. The needs are obvious, like you just stated, and the gospel is sufficient. And so we have an incredible moment in front of us to engage. Absolutely. That's huge. And let's, let's transition there as we kind of, uh, you know, land the plane today around what can leaders do? So earlier we mentioned first principles versus just clinging to the traditions or the status quo or the norms or the familiar. Uh, but if, if, if you're talking to a leader, and whether it's a leader of a, a missional community or a small group or a leader of a church, how does, how does a leader begin to think about what the church is fundamentally and how to be faithful in in a really a totally new era. Like we've been dropped, it's almost like Jeff, we've been dropped into another country as missionaries, you know, and I know it's the same country, but it doesn't function the same way. And a lot of things have changed very, very quickly. And so we're having to do contextualization. We're having to do missiology. We're having to do ecclesiology. We're having to figure out, okay, well, well, how can we do that in a different way? Uh, but yeah, what, what, what would some be advice to church leaders, small group leaders, MC leaders, others in terms of orienting themselves as to discovering what faithfulness and fruitfulness looks like in, in the COVID reality. Yeah, I think the first thing is don't look back. That's the first thing I'd say. Paul Paul says it himself to the church in Philippi, I forget what lies behind and press on to what lies ahead. Uh, of course, he's talking about the prize of becoming like Jesus, even to the point of death, uh, at least understanding Jesus in his death. And, you know, the, the, the word of Jeremiah, the prophet to the exiles uh, wasn't Hey, you're getting out of here soon. It's this is your new reality. So figure out how to live in this new reality in such a way that you become a blessing to Babylon. Uh, and, and so in our case, I'd say don't pine for what was. Be willing to, of course, mourn what was. It's okay to say, man, I miss that. Um, that's good. That's healthy. That's good emotional awareness and health, but to say, now what is? And uh, this is where God has us. God's not surprised. God's not out of control. God's absolutely in control. And so uh, what is our present moment? Where are we at? Like you said, we've been dropped into a new country as missionaries. So let's accept where we are. And, and instead of wanting to go back or wanting to go to a new reality that doesn't yet exist, accept the one you're in. That's the first thing, I think. And then say, Lord, how do we then, like Jeremiah, encourage God's people to do? How do we live in such a way that we plant gardens, that we uh, you know, get our children married, that we become a people who are blessed to be a blessing? Like, How do we make our neighborhoods better, our workplaces better? How do we contribute to the present reality in such a way that people would say, you're not just a good news proclaiming people, you're a good news displaying people, that you you are really being the good news in our neighborhood. And so I think that that's the next step is I think with some believers, whether that's via Zoom or or you know, hopefully you know some of you can gather in just smaller groups now. A lot of our states are allowing at least smaller groups. It's like start to gather in smaller groups. And, and then I, I think even have the honest conversation with your church leaders or with your group leaders um, about – Okay, where are we really at? Do we know how to do the basics of being with Jesus, walking with Jesus? But if we don't know how to do that, we're never going to make it through this present reality. So do we know them? I mean, our, our church providentially, and I think even uh, spirit-led, was led before COVID happened to say, this is the year of learning to be with Jesus. We're going to spend a quarter on silence and solitude. That was right before COVID hit. <laughs> we're going to spend a quarter on prayer. That's when we really need it because everyone's anxious. So we're learning how to pray. Now we're going into a quarter of Sabbath, learning how to truly rest. Then we're going to spend a quarter on Bible reading because we're just going like, if people aren't established on the basics, 
And we don't have to meet on a Sunday gathering to teach them any of that. That can be done over a Zoom call and then say, now practice it. And maybe with a few other guys or a few other ladies, talk about how you're working it out. And so getting back to the basics of just saying, where are we presently at? Accept it. How can we be blessed to be a blessing? But let's not neglect the first things, which is, do we have the basics of discipleship down? And Mm. so help your people live into that for a while. And it may be that this whole year is just helping your people learn how to be with Jesus so that... When, as the opportunities come about, they'll actually have the power of the Spirit to do it. They'll have the leadership of the Spirit to do it. And they'll have the love of Christ that's overflowing in their life to be yeah. willing to give up for the sake of others. Yeah, that's really good, Jeff. And it reminds me of something we kind of touched on earlier, that idea of the doctor and getting the the real feedback on where you are. And, and then you mentioned it, like rather than avoiding that or hiding from it or being ashamed of it, but actually just saying, okay, what, what can our people do? You know, do they know how to be with Jesus? Uh, if that's a strength in your church, great. You probably don't have to double down on that. There's probably, you know, something else like, do they know how to love their neighbors? You know, do they know how to care for the poor who are in longer food bank lines than ever? Or do they know how to share their faith or, or whatever it is? But yeah, just almost implicit in some of what you've just said is that diagnosis of, okay, what, what do we get back you know, from the doctor, you know, what, what yeah. did we hear? What did we see was a, a, a gap that got exposed by COVID. Let's just courageously stare that down and, and, and pray and discover how do we best address that with the limitations that we have, whether that's triads of three men meeting together and three women outside in camping chairs, or it's zoom or it's some other creative example uh, there's been no, I mean, this has been encouraging to me, Jeff, there's been no shortage of creativity by the folks that want to really figure it out, you know, That's right. pretty adaptive and we have the spirit of God and we have, we now we're more connected than ever. We can actually learn and watch what other people are doing all over the place. So there, there's really, you know, unless you're just, you know, slothful and un, unimaginative and don't have energy for it. Uh, there's no shortage of innovation. There's no shortage of creativity in terms of figuring it out. Yeah, and we have the Spirit of God who is the creator. So, like, uh, we should we should not only have no shortage of it, but we have all all the access to the one who is the most creative of them all. And I, so I think what you even said there, Duke, is really important. It's not only we have to accept the reality of what is around us in the culture, but we also have to be willing to accept the reality of, of the, the state of the discipleship that we have or the disciples that we have. And, and not in a shaming way, but rather in a thank God for the revelation of this moment mm-hmm. that helped me see, yes, our people know how to walk with Jesus, but they don't know how to open the table of hospitality to their neighbor. Or our people know how to do hospitality, but they don't know how to engage in this political uh, reality that we're in, in a way that's full of grace and love and the kindness of the gospel. So we got to train them in that, or, you know, that, yeah, they, they know how to, to get out and open the table and they've been doing good works, but they don't know how to share the gospel. They don't know how to share their story. Okay. That's what we got to get after. So not only embrace and, and face the truth of the moment and also the reality of your own discipleship and your disciples, but then thank God for the opportunity to now see what you didn't see before. And then to step into that and say, okay, now's the time to shore up those areas that were weak, that we didn't even know were weak until this moment allowed us to see it. And then we can address them. And the beauty of the whole point of us being disciple-making churches is we're not here to run programs. We're here to make sure that we make disciples who make disciples. And whenever we see a gap in our discipleship, 
that's a beautiful moment because that's the whole point is we want to know all the ways we aren't making disciples well so we can get after it. So now's the time to get after those things that you now see. Yeah, that's great. That's really helpful. Yeah, Jeff, this has been a, a great conversation and I'm, yeah, I'm just excited about yeah, just this era and all the opportunities that we have within the Soma family of churches as churches are moving forward and, and through Saturate as other churches are continuing to to follow the Spirit into the moment to be faithful. So this is, yeah, it's been really, really helpful. Uh, just a couple of housekeeping things I want to share uh, with the audience. So yesterday, uh, actually, I don't know when this will go live, so it won't be yesterday, but in August, very, very early August, we've relaunched the Saturate membership. And so everything we've ever produced, including all the books like the Gospel Fluency Handbook or, you know, Christ, you know uh, what is it, Following Christ Together. There's all sorts of textual resources that you can buy, hard copies. But now all of the ebooks are in the membership. Uh, we're launching like 15 new video courses that can be done in learning communities. We've increasingly discovered that learning communities are a fruitful environment for leaders to grow. The, the video is really just tee up the ball for that group to really wrestle with the text and the, and the scripture and to have you know great discussions around key topics for equipping uh, really everything that you've ever thought of we've got a new u- user interface and you know user experience which is much more like Netflix galleries so it's very visual very easy to scroll through and discover everything that's there I uh, just want to encourage you to take another look at the Saturate membership if you've if you've been a member in the past or you never have uh, you know Jeff, this COVID moment has really opened a lot of people up to the idea of we've got to equip people to make disciples in everyday stuff of life. And, and that membership is really, that, that's really what it is. It's, it's equipping people for that. And so, um, and then I also want to just say again, uh, next episode, it'll be Jeff and I with Will Plitt from Christ Together. And Christ Together really unifies churches to get after gospel saturation, very similar to, to saturate. We're we're looking to partner with them. Uh, Will Plitt, their executive director, will be with us. And we'll, we'll really make the case for a one church theology, that there is one church in any given place, uh, the, one holy Catholic church in a city, and that we're actually better together. Uh, we can see more happen if we'll actually load, you know, lay down our logos, lay down our egos, and, and really pursue the mission humbly together. And so we be excited about that. Uh, Jeff, thanks for the time today. Uh, It was great to be with you as always. And um, yeah, we'll just trust God that uh, he'll use this episode and really this season uh, for the advance of the gospel in our generation. Amen. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.